Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intelligence, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for joining us on one of the radio stations around the country, or maybe you're listening on iTunes, watching on YouTube, or you're catching us on the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we have a very informative show on business and commercial real estate trends. I had the opportunity to quiz Ryan Severino. Ryan is a senior economist with Reese at the annual Georgia CPA Real Estate Conference. I'd like to thank Wayne Williams and everyone at the Georgia CPA Conference for inviting me to come out and speak and, and bring Ryan to the event. Uh, this is our second year there, and uh, uh, we really appreciate being there at the Cobb Galleria and uh, putting on a, a great presentation, and, and Ryan sure uh, provided some great information. Ryan has a way of taking the trends impacting our economy, combining that with property-level performance trends to provide a unique insight to the future performance of real estate and opportunities for business and commercial real estate. Enjoy. Ryan, to get us started, I think the question in a lot of people's mind is uh, Yellen not raising the Fed's rate uh, and kind of the slow, is, that, is, the, is this the new normal with these lower interest rates, we kind of, I guess we're hoping, expecting that rates would increase. Uh, what do you see there, and what's the impact on the economy and commercial real estate? I, I do think this is the new normal. Um, I think we are slowly coming to grips with the fact that the economy is just going to grow at a slower rate, sort of from here on out, or, or post-recession, than what we experienced during the post-war. And as a consequence of that, I, I, I often say, um, low interest rates are really a symptom of the economic environment. If the economy could actually countenance higher interest rates, you would see higher interest rates. And I think it's reflected in the interest rates themselves, and it's reflected in the returns on a whole bunch of investments across the asset class spectrum. And so I do think that this is the new normal. And that's not to say that you won't see interest rates going up over time, but I think we need to really come to grips with the fact that we're not going to see interest rates at least anytime soon, anywhere near the averages that we saw in the post-war. The average long-term Fed funds rate is close to about 4%. Today we're at 25 basis points. And I can't imagine the Fed, who's become clearly more data dependent in their actions, raising that rate aggressively because, again, it's really a reflection of the economic environment. And I think because the economy's growing you know, closer to 2% than the 3.5% that we got used to after World War II, the Fed's just not going to be in a position to push that so much. And I, so I think this is kind of the new normal, a, a, more, uh, a, a lower interest rate environment on a structural basis. That said, you know, that's not so bad for commercial real estate because it is an asset class that lends itself to being levered. Um, but I think as a consequence of that, we're also dealing with a lower cap rate environment because it is, to a certain extent, a function of where interest rates are. And so, we're just going to get used to lower growth in the economy, lower interest rates, lower cap rates, lower returns on a whole bunch of investments. I mean, this is kind of the new normal, for better or worse. Well, is this a signal, though, that we, some of us might need to be concerned about the economy and, and about jobs and about growth moving forward if, if the Fed is saying, hey, we're really concerned, we're not even going to go up to what normal interest rates should be? Here's what's interesting about that. I think the economy, the way I usually classify it when I'm talking about it, uh, clients or you know, with you on the show, it, it, it's good but not great is the way that I think about the economy. You know, we're growing somewhere around 2% give or take real GDP growth. That is certainly strong enough to create jobs and put people back to work and get consumers to spend money again, but it's, 
it's just a little pale relative to what we're used to. And so I think because some of the data has been mixed and we came out of a really bad recession, we have a propensity to focus on the, this, the dark cloud as opposed to the silver lining. So just to give you an example, for most of the last couple of years, the labor market's been great. You know, we're six, seven years into an economic recovery. It's still generating, it was at least, still generating on average more than 200,000 jobs per month. But then people would say, oh, well, consumer spending isn't so robust and the housing market isn't, is kind of so-so. So they would, in the face of all this optimistic data, they would look for the kind of the pessimistic data. Now the reverse is kind of true. If you look at consumer spending, it's been pretty strong for the last few months. If you look at the housing market, it's gotten strong. And then, you know, there's a blemish or two on the record of the labor market, and all of a sudden it's kind of the reverse story. Well, the consumers are spending money and everything's starting to look better, but looks like the labor market's faltering a little bit. And so I think that's a consequence of this sort of, you know, partially cloudy kind of economic environment. Some of the signals will be a little more positive. Some of the signals will be a little more negative. But I think if you take the economic data as a whole in concert, it's still signaling this sort of good but not great environment. So the sky is not falling. No, and I, and I think, again, I think there is this tendency to kind of look at these, you know, to keep going with this analogy, these partially cloudy skies and think, oh, we're due for thunderstorms anytime soon and watch out for economic tornadoes that are going to you know, uproot your trailer park or whatever. But um, I think it is a partially cloudy sky. Sometimes it's a little more sunny. Sometimes it's a little darker. And, and sure, we'd all love to, you know, Hawaii-type weather every day, but um, that's just not where we are in the economy these days. Well, I have my trailer nailed down really well. Good so job. I'm, I'm okay. So, <laughs> so you, you bring up uh, a good question there, and that is, you know, where are we? in this cycle. You know, this cycle's been a little long in the tooth. Some people are concerned that, wow, are we at the top of the market? Is it time that we should be selling properties and, and getting out? Uh, are bad times around the corner? How close are they? Where are we in the cycle? We are relatively late in the cycle. And, just, and you're right. If you put this in proper context, it, this is long in the tooth. We are half a month away from this recovery slash expansion period in the economy being seven years old, which is probably, depending upon how you look at it, give or take, maybe the, the third longest that we've seen. The longest period of uninterrupted economic growth we've ever seen in the United States was back in the 1990s, and that was really uh, due to this thing you might have heard of called the internet. You know, so the internet comes and productivity explodes for a little bit, but even with the internet, we couldn't get the economy to grow more than 10 years. So. If you look at the data, the data says when you come out of balance sheet recessions like the one that we just went through, the economic cycle is longer, but the growth is weaker on a per annum basis. And that is playing out pretty much true to form. We are seeing a longer period, but lower growth uh, on average every year. And so that tells me that, okay, if, if we know that the, that the high watermark for uninterrupted economic growth is 10 years, and we're at the seven-year mark, that leads me to think that sometime around the end of this decade or the beginning of the next decade, we will hit that inflection point and, and go into another recession. So what does that mean for real estate? It means in the short term, eh, not a lot's going to vary that much, probably okay. Long term, real estate is always a great play, you'll be okay. It's the medium term, and unfortunately, this is kind of where the recession is likely to hit. It's somewhere in that medium term that you have to watch out for, and that's dangerous for real estate because the prototypical hold period for commercial real estate is kind of medium term. It's sort of in that, depending upon the asset class and your strategy, three, four, five, seven years, something like that. I, I joke around with my students, but I keep saying if, I'm, if I ever get around to writing a book about commercial real estate, 
I'm going to call it, it's the medium term that kills you because the short term things usually don't change that much and the long term everybody makes money in real estate. It's in the medium term where you either have to sell an asset for whatever reason or your debt comes due and you have to refinance for something that forces your hand in the medium term, which unfortunately coincidentally is probably where the next recession's coming. So I'm not panicky about that, but it definitely should be on people's radar screens because um, it's highly unlikely that we're going to grow the economy you know, 11, 12 years uninterrupted. It's just, it's not a zero probability scenario, but it's certainly a low probability scenario. So if this is a longer cycle than normal, some of that from the slow growth that we have and our, our, our developer friends and uh, our lenders, are we being more cautious and is that going to create a little more safety in, in a longer period of good times? You are starting to see that and, and I take that as a heartening sign I, to start to see that not everybody is quite as enthusiastic about development as they were 24 months ago. That the lenders, which, you know, I understand if you're a lender, you have to lend to make money, are starting to ease off the gas pedal a little bit and saying, okay, we've been doing a pretty diligent job of placing money out in the market over the last three, four, five years. Our balance sheets are a little more robust than they were a few years ago. Maybe we should start to think about pulling back a little bit. Not necessarily avoiding lending, but maybe not being as aggressive as we once were. And I'm seeing that um, from my commercial banking clients and uh, from insurance company clients and even the one in the securitization market is largely uh, kind of shut down at this point. But even there, I think people are, are willing to exercise more caution than at the same point in the cycle during the last run up to the recession. Well, you're listening to the Commercial Real Estate Show, of course, and you're listening to Ryan Severino as I had the opportunity to interview him at the Cobb Galleria at the Georgia CPA Conference. And one of the things I think in commercial real estate and in business, we all want to know, well, what's the future hold? So we're going to take a short break. When we get back, we're going to talk to Ryan about the future. Uh, one of the things that when you're investing in commercial real estate is you want to know about exit cap rates, right? Some of these cap rates are seemingly a little low right now, especially uh, the core assets, uh, the high quality properties. So what's it going to mean if you sell that property in four years or five years or seven years? Uh, what should you put in your pro forma for cap rates? Well, we're going to talk to Ryan about that. So uh, uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit getvaluate.com. That's getvaluate.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Now more from Ryan Severino at the CPA Annual Real Estate Conference. One of the things that a lot of us do in this room, Ryan, is try to predict the future for our clients. Sure. Um, and, and that is one of those things in, an, in income properties is looking at exit cap rates. Right, we're trying to figure out yield on an investment, and we're looking at cap rates a five or six years down the road. So you said, hey, we've, we've got to be in some sort of downturn by then. Uh, crystal ball, what cap rates should we be thinking about? Yeah, and, and, and this is, again, where I'm starting to see a little more discipline on the part of the market. More and more of my clients are starting to use 
at least marginally higher exit caps if they're looking at sort of five, six years down the road. I think short term, we will be okay because of the strength in the economy and the strength in fundamentals. I don't see much upward pressure on cap rates over the next sort of, you know, that two to three year period before the recession. We go into a recession, you will probably see across the asset class spectrum, I'll ballpark it, I'll say cap rates 100 to 200 at the most, maybe basis points above where we are. And that's, you know, for certain markets and property types that aren't as strong. On average, I'd say it's probably closer to 100 and 150, just because a surefire way to get a cap rate expansion is to go into a recession. I mean, you can, we've been tracking the market for 36 years, and throughout the ups and down cycles, I mean, it's like exhibit A for cap rate expansion. You go into a recession, NOI growth slows down, and eventually it turns negative, and then people get a little more um, risk averse and cautious about the market, and pricing slips a little bit, and then cap rates go up. So I don't think it will be dramatic. It certainly won't be like the cap rate expansion that we saw uh, in late 2008 and early 2009, where you saw, uh, saw multiple hundreds of basis points across the asset class spectrum. But you will see some upward pressure on cap. I mean, it's inevitable. It's just it's what happens during a recession. You don't see recessions hit and, and, uh, and then everybody wants to go piling in. It's usually the reverse. I mean, unless you're treasuries, in which case it seemingly everybody always wants to pile in, but certainly during a recession when people get uh, a little more concerned about the economy. Well, is that safety in the cap rates in the future for, for commercial real estate? Is part of that based on commercial real estate being kind of a safe asset class? I mean, it can never go down to zero there's a hard asset. And you also are going to have some expected NOI growth, right? We're right. still expecting growth in income and, and occupancy, possibly. Right. And that's why I think real estate you know, continues to be such a favorable asset class. Because, again, it's the sort of the medium term that kills you. It, if you sign long-term leases, you're generally okay. It's only, again, if you have some kind of issue. If your leases roll or you have a refinancing issue, you have to sell the property. I think that's what's so great about real estate is that it's a, it's a hedge against inflation because you often have inflationary clauses already built into the leases. If you don't actually have to sell the asset, what most people do is they kind of, you know, sort of ride it through the valley is kind of the expression. If you're kind of in a relatively good environment and then the economy turns and fundamentals start to turn so NOI slips a little bit, but your leases will last throughout that period, you kind of skirt over that. So you kind of ride over the valley a little bit and then when the market bounces back and then you know your leases come due for renewal or something like that, then maybe you think about selling an asset. So it's only really when the market somehow or, or your specific circumstances force your hand during that period. And I think that's what's great about real estate, that if you, if you have really good asset management practices, you can structure it so that you don't have, and, and you know, good capital markets people, I'll, I'll say on top of that, your hand isn't forced during that, that temporary valley, and then you can wait to ride that out to sell. And so, yeah, it, it makes a very um, compelling investment thesis, certainly over the, the medium to long term. And, and part of the challenge is riding through that valley is loan maturities, right? And we're at a point now where there's a lot of loans maturing that were done you know, 10 years ago right. that had 10-year calls. You know, are we going to see some distress and some issues for our clients uh, this year, next year, moving forward? We might. And what concerns me a little bit on that is that the CMBS market had been going through this fits and starts recovery for the last, you know, three, four, five years or so. And now, unfortunately, we're in kind of like another fit of, of almost like suspended animation, that the market is kind of stalling a little bit and trying to get its legs underneath it again and trying to ramp back up. And what concerns me about that is you really need the CMBS market 
to take out a lot of the big deals, right? Because the balance sheet lenders, for a whole slew of reasons, uh, maybe paramount uh, among them is concentration risk, don't want to take out a nine-figure loan on their own. And so unless you're going to see some kind of advanced syndication on the part of balance sheet lenders, if, if CMBS doesn't come back, that could be a little choppy, and that will reverberate through the markets a little bit. I don't think there's going to be quite the bloodletting that people were expecting you know, five, six, seven years ago. But I feel like we kind of swing a little bit from pessimism to optimism in terms of uh, this, this uh, wall of refinancing that's coming. And so I'm, I'm maybe not as optimistic as I was a year or so ago because it, it, I don't think a lot of people anticipated the, the changes in the CMBS market that we've seen over the last few quarters. But I'm probably not uh, as pessimistic as, as I think people were feeling, like I said, maybe five six, seven years ago. So I think there will be some issues at the margin, uh, but I think there's a lot of capital out there that still really wants to do deals, and I think a lot of that stuff will, you know, especially if it's good caliber collateral underneath, will, shouldn't have too much difficulty uh, being refinanced. But, you know, I, I liken it more to kind of a speed bump as opposed to a roadblock. We'll, we'll hit a couple bumps in the road, but I don't think it's the kind of thing where um, you'll see the market shut down completely. Well, it is an interesting time, you know, if you think that maybe we're toward the end of a cycle. You mentioned you know, lenders sort of pulling back a little bit. You know, we had Brian Bailey from the Fed on the show, and he seemed to indicate that, that they were going to tell lenders, banks, that maybe they should be more cautious. Now we have these maturities. Now we have Yellen not raising the Fed's rate as kind of as, is that some sort of signal? You know, might there be a little more uh, distress for some of our clients or maybe for some of our clients' opportunity? Uh, and especially with some of these more private type of financing that's going to be available, like, like crowdfunding and, and funds doing these types of loans. Those, I think, are a little more at risk because that's, some of those things are, 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 you know, it's a smaller market. Some of them are relatively new. It's not totally proven. I don't know what kind of depth and liquidity there is to that market if the economy does start to falter a little bit. You know, the more established avenues, I don't think you'll, they always go through uh, you know, issues when, when the economy slows down a little bit. But you know, for things like crowdfunding, I don't know how willing those people are going to be to lend if, we, if the economy does really kind of, you know, hit the brakes a little bit. I think that's, it's a relatively new business model. It's still, I think, the jury's still out a little bit on how, how uh, whether it's proven or unproven. Um, but I think if you look at the established lenders um, and even some of the more opportunistic ones that have jumped into the market, I think they have a level of sophistication that they can work through uh, a kind of a soft patch in the economy without shutting down the financing market completely. But that said, it could pose challenges, no doubt. Okay. And where we are in the cycle today, is it time to sell a lot of these assets while <laughs> interest rates are low, while the market's hot, while we're at the top of the market? I think we've all had uh, clients that maybe been there ourselves where you know, we decided, ah, it's, it's always going to go up, uh, and then it drops. Is it a good time to sell? Yeah, if it were my money, I'd, I'd, all else being equal, I'd probably be more of a net seller than a buyer at this point, just because we are so far into the cycle. Unless you really think um, that you're going to ride out the assets that you hold through whenever the next recession is coming. I think if you have a very sort of long-term mentality and you don't worry about... Um, anything sort of short to medium term and the next recession doesn't, doesn't scare you all that much, then I think you probably don't have to worry, right? If you're a typical long-term hold, if you're a, a pension fund or you're an endowment fund or you're some kind of high net worth family office or something like that where you're really looking for income producing properties and you tend to hold them for a long period of time, then maybe you could still probably buy today and not worry about it. 
You're listening to Ryan Severino at the Georgia Annual CPA Conference, where I had an opportunity to quiz him on the economy and commercial real estate. Stay with us. Right after the break, we'll talk about foreign investment in U.S. real estate and the impact on value. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by CCIM Institute, commercial real estate's global standard for professional achievement. Visit ccim.com slash CRE show. That's ccim.com slash CRE show. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Well, there's been some recent changes to FERPTA, which could make investing in U.S. real estate by foreign investors much more attractive. We're already seeing an increase in foreign investment traffic on our website and through our company. Well, I was recently with Ryan Severino at the Georgia Annual CPA Conference and asked him what they're seeing at Reese. Are they seeing an increase in volume and how might it impact values? Enjoy. And one of the things that we've seen that have been driving up demand for U.S. commercial real estate are foreign investors. And then the changes in the FERP to foreign investors now have a little bit more favorable tax advantages to, to buy in the U.S. Are you guys starting to see in the numbers that more foreign investors are buying in the U.S. Uh, yet? And what do you expect moving forward? You know, I, I think foreign investors still have a lot of interest in U.S. real estate. I think the, the FERP to changes make it even more favorable to them. But I honestly think the big driver these days is the fact that it's such a yield play, right? To us, you know, it sounds ridiculous if I tell you that people are buying apartment buildings, like high-end apartment buildings in New York at three to three and a half caps. I mean, it's 100 basis points spread over 10-year treasuries, give or take. Maybe it's 140 these days with treasuries sliding back on yield a little bit. But it sounds ridiculous to us. But if you're, say, for argument's sake, a high net worth, you know, German investor, and the yield on 10-year bonds just slid slightly negative, then buying at a three to three and a half cap in New York, which is you know, a hugely stable market where you're always going to make money over time, sounds like a really good play. I mean, you pay somebody to, to, hedge, your, um, to hedge your currency bet a little bit so that the currency movement doesn't really imperil you that much, and you're still making you know, probably two, three hundred basis point spread that you, that you don't have to worry about. So I think, you know, we as, as, a, as a country, as an economy, as a market, continue to be the harbor in, in the tempest. I mean, we really are the safe haven in the world. As, as much as, um, you know, everybody around the world, you know, has a fun time deriding the United States, I always tell people, you know, watch their actions as opposed to what they say. You know, Russian money flows into the United States and European money flows into the United States and Chinese money and Japanese money and Korean money and Latin American money and petrodollars from the Middle East. And I think, you know, there's, there's something to be said for that. And I think this change only makes that even more advantageous for them. So, um, especially real estate, because it's, it's, you know, like you said, it's a hard asset class. People can touch it and see it, it's not, it's not intangible, it's not intellectual capital or property or something like that. And real estate continues to be uh, a very favorable asset class to foreign investors, I'd say both high net worth individuals and institutional investors. So some of our domestic clients investing in properties are having trouble competing with these foreign investors because of what you said, they're looking for the safety um, and they can pay a lower cap rate and a higher price. So 
do you expect that to continue, and might that help even stabilize cap rates and values moving forward? Yeah, I, I think, honestly, it's one of the reasons why I don't expect a lot of upward pressure on cap rates until we probably get to the next recession, because I think there still is a lot of money out there that would really like to be placed into, into U.S. real estate assets. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's an interesting dilemma to have because... I wouldn't want to be in a marketplace where it was so devoid of liquidity that you would really have to worry about your exit. But we are almost dealing with the same kind of issue that we had with um, almost with the condo conversion play in the last cycle before the bottom dropped out. Right? You couldn't you couldn't buy apartment properties at reasonable cap rates because if you bought them based on conventional real estate play, which is to kind of buy it, collect the lease payments as income, and then sell it at some point you were being outbid by the people who were buying it, converting it into condos, exiting that way, and making significantly more money because the condo market was booming. We almost have kind of the same problem on a more macro basis today in that you're right, the foreign investors are just looking at this differently. And so, you know, the question then becomes, you know, how badly do you really want and, and own in, you know, New York? Or The good thing, I, I'm kind of beating around the bush a little bit, but the good thing is they generally only like markets that they know really well. Right. So they're only going to be in the big institutional gateway markets. Good luck, you know, pitching uh, a foreign investor. You go to them and say, I have a really good deal in Pittsburgh. They're going to, it doesn't matter how good it is. They will largely balk at that because they want to be in New York, D.C., Boston, Chicago, San Francisco, L.A., you know, maybe Houston, Atlanta, Miami, markets like that. So, and so the question then becomes, how badly do you want to be in those markets? And if you do, how badly do you want to be in sort of not necessarily trophy caliber assets, but higher caliber assets. As usual, great information from Ryan Severino as I was interviewing him at the CPA annual real estate conference. And you know, in Atlanta, there certainly are uh, a lot of opportunities for different cap rates and, and different styles of, of properties. So there's something for everyone. Well, stay tuned. We're going to take a short break, but we're going to ask Ryan about the impact of the new FASB lease regulations, which will cause most companies to have to put their real estate leases on their balance sheet. How will that impact the office market? How will that impact companies' decisions when they're leasing space? And there's a lot of costs involved with building out spaces. Are tenants going to want shorter leases? How might that impact their business and commercial real estate? Stay with us. We'll be right back. First Service Solutions, your CMBS borrower advocate. For requests, assumptions, consulting, and restructuring, call First Service Solutions at 817 817- 756-7227. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and you're listening to The Commercial Real Estate Show. Next, Ryan will share his look at the FASB lease accounting and how companies may adjust their behavior. Also, he'll look and share his view on office market fundamentals moving forward. Enjoy. I want to change the subject a little bit um, to, to FASB and the FASB lease accounting changes where, where a lot of our companies are going to put the leases a liability on their balance sheet. Are you guys seeing any impact on real estate decisions yet? Not yet, but I'm hearing more chatter about that. There are definitely companies that are starting to wonder about having to put that on the balance sheets and thinking maybe we should change our strategy. Maybe real estate is not the play that we thought it was, you know, before this convention. So I can't say that empirically I've seen a lot of change just yet, but 
the conversation is, is, it's out there. And I know it's been out there for a while. I can, I can first remember talking about this with clients maybe three, four years ago when it was anticipated. But people are concerned, no doubt about it, because it, it, it changes the game completely, right? Now all of a sudden, it, it's, it's, it's a potential headache instead of, uh, you know, the aspirin, so to speak. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the this markets, some of the major markets. So let's talk about the office market, maybe nationally and in Atlanta. You know, what are you seeing for performance and, and rates, and where do you see it trending? You know, nationally, we've had uh, this kind of slower pedestrian pace of recovery relative to what we've seen in cycles past, and that's largely been a function of the labor market. Although the labor market has, I think, all else being equal, performed really well, it's only really the last maybe 12 to 24 months that you've seen more of the jobs that are being created coming from the office using industries of the economy, like business and professional services, financial services, um, even the government to a certain extent, engineering, technology, those kinds of professions. Um, I think the good news is that is becoming a more entrenched part of the job creation, even with you know, the labor market backsliding a little bit. Um, and so that, I think, has been a heartening sign. The other thing that's a heartening sign for the office market is that we don't typically see leases expanding until they come up for expiration. So I think of it as sort of intra-lease versus interlease. Intra-lease, you don't see a lot of expansion. What, what typically happens is organizations hire people, they just squeeze them into the existing space because usually there's underutilized space. Usually you have empty offices and cubicles and desks. And so that's where the, the newly hired employees tend to go. Then once the lease comes up for expiration, you see organizations say, oh, well, we have 300 more employees in the space than we had when we signed this lease at the bottom of the market in 2010 or so and we expect to grow, we should probably take a bigger, a bigger footprint. And we're starting to see that as these leases that were signed at the bottom in 2009 and 10 and 11 start to roll over. So all of that portends better times ahead for office than we've seen certainly over the last three, four, or five years. Uh, that said, this isn't your grandmother's office market recovery. We are not going to be able to get down to vacancy rates before we had, or at least there's a really low probability, I, I try not to be too absolutist, but there's a really low probability that we get back to what I consider to be healthy vacancy rates before we hit the next recession. Um, that said, in Atlanta, I think you've had a better office market recovery than most people believe. And some of that's due to the fact that only recently have you started to see construction ramping up a little bit. Well, today we're featuring Ryan Severino as I interviewed him at the CPA conference. And next I ask Ryan about the apartment industry. Seems like there's a lot of new multifamily that's uh, being developed. Ask him about cap rates and what we should expect moving forward. Right. So you're still forecasting good growth in the performance. But what about in the cap rates? Of course, we have increased in a while. We get, we've increased in value. But, you know, I guess we all hope and expect the interest rates will will start to climb at some point. So what do you expect for cap rates moving forward in multifamily? Yeah, I'd say I don't expect to see too much movement in the short term just because you're right. NOI growth does, all else being equal, does put downward pressure on cap rates. I think um, and not until probably we start to really see more clear indications of a recession would I expect to see any more significant upward pressure on cap rates. Because again, as long as NOI growth is still relatively positive, which it will be in the apartment sector, um, especially vis-a-vis -vis other asset classes, I think you will see a lot of investors continue to favor the apartment market. Um, I, I think until we really start to see more clear indications of a recession, I wouldn't expect to see much upward pressure on, 
on apartment caps. I don't think there's a lot of room for downward compression just because, uh, I mean, every time I say that though, the data shows <laughs> that apartment cap rates keep going down, so I should yeah. probably be a little careful about that. But you're not at the floor, but you're getting pretty close to the floor. So the kind of downward pressure you see is modest relative to what we were seeing in 2010 and 11 and 12. Where do you see opportunities in the multifamily market? You know, I, I honestly, I love BC apartments, especially out in the suburbs, because uh, on a relative basis, there's far more under construction in, in, in urban city centers than there are out in the suburbs, and nobody's building Class BC because right. it, it's just not economically feasible to do it. And so the, the one knock on BC is that um, it's harder to push rents because of the kind of tenants that you have. But honestly, I think if you're someone who can countenance a little bit of sort of value add, you know, minor repositioning or, or, or work on a property. I've seen a lot of deals where people have bought at attractive cap rates. They've done very minor um, capex on a property. They've been able to raise the rents a little bit. I think the knock, most people think, oh, you just kind of have to buy it. It's already occupied and rents don't grow that much. If you buy it and you're willing to, to you know, take some units offline temporarily and spruce them up a little bit and then be able to raise the rents, uh, I've seen, uh, Personally and professionally, I've seen IRRs in the 20 to 40 range on deals like that. And the thing is, the inventory declines over time. More BC properties get raised, then class A slides down to B and B slides down to C. So over time, the inventory is actually contracting while demand remains stable if, if, you know, and, and probably grows over time. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's like anything else. It's a little higher risk, higher reward. But I, you know, I, I could probably make an argument that on a risk-adjusted basis, I'd rather be in B properties right now than A properties. Yeah, well that's interesting and I think there's also more opportunity for improved property management and asset management in those class of properties. Absolutely. Your class A properties are all pretty much managed pretty well. It's the B and C is a little tougher. After a short break, we'll have more from Ryan Severino at the CPA conference and next I'm going to ask Ryan about the retail market. And the retail sector has certainly taken a hit with online sales. What should we expect moving forward? Stay with us. Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Well, today we're featuring a best of from my interview with Ryan Severino, the senior economist with Reese. I had the opportunity to do a fireside chat with him at the Georgia CPA Annual Conference. Well, next, Ryan shares an interesting look at retail and what we might expect moving forward. Enjoy. Retail's really been the laggard in this cycle, and for all of the reasons that you could think of, right? That the economy has been good but not great, that the middle class does continue to falter. Um, you see that manifested in the performance of the retailers themselves. The high end and the low end have done well, and the middle's still struggling. Um, and there is, you know, the 800-pound grill out there. The internet keeps becoming a bigger and bigger player, and I think um, certain classes of goods that are sold typically in, in physical retail formats are the ones that are coming under the most pressure. So usually I'll say something like only 7% of sales occur online, which is absolutely true. If you look at the data, it's only about 7% of sales are e-commerce sales. But for categories like apparel, it's probably closer to 
percent or so, and that makes a big difference. And so I think you've had, um, you had overbuilding last decade because it was the one asset class, property class that was performing really well coming out of the dot-com bubble because, I mean, let's be honest, everybody was using their houses as you know, huge ATMs and they were refinancing and they were taking that money and they were buying Lexuses and Hummers and granite countertops and sub-zero refrigerators and Viking ranges even though they can't cook to save their lives but looks really impressive when their friends come over. Um, so we overbuilt that space because everybody Stay out thought, of my kitchen. Because <laughs> everybody thought, you know, it, it was the one, you know, the old, the old mantra which was true until we clearly disabused that myth was that, oh, the American consumer is immune to everything. They never stop spending. And, and the reality was it was a whole bunch of deficit financing that was untenable in the long run. So you have a supply overhang. You have e-commerce becoming more competitive. And then the other thing that, that we've seen is that we've had the rise of these other subtypes relatively new that by and large didn't exist you know, in the 60s and 70s and the 80s. Lifestyle centers and town centers and power centers and even outlet centers are a lot more prevalent than they were when I was a kid growing up. And so you just have a much more intensely competitive environment now. And so I think as a consequence of that, you're going to, at least among the sort of more established asset, uh, subtypes like regional malls and uh, strip centers, neighborhood and community centers, structurally higher vacancy rates and structurally lower rental growth because it's a more competitive environment. But that said, it's definitely a multi-speed kind of market now. If you're really high end, I think you're fine. If you're at the low end, I think you're fine. I think the middle of the market where it's going to continue to be a challenge. Uh, and honestly, some of those centers are probably in a, a, unfortunately, a permanent state of decline. And that's what makes, I think, that challenge, very, uh, that challenge in the sector very difficult because there are just some asset class properties. Um, you're just gonna look at this and you're gonna say, is this a temporary thing or a permanent thing? And if it's a temporary thing, you'll probably be okay. But if it's a permanent thing, those are the types of deals where you could really get your, your lunch eaten. I'd like to thank Ryan Severino from Reese for joining us at the Cobb Galleria for the annual CPA conference. And I hope you enjoyed his insight on how current trends are impacting business and commercial real estate. If you'd like the Commercial Real Estate Show to moderate a panel, uh, do a show, or bring some speakers to your next event, or reach out to us at commercialrealestateshow.com. I also want to thank you for sharing our show on social media sites and for the comments and the likes. You're invited to connect with us on your favorite social media sites, and you can find them all, uh, including links, at commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, be sure and join us next week. We're going to explore the business of self-storage. You know, there are all types of price ranges and ways to invest in self-storage. So we'll share some tips for operations, some tips for increasing revenues, and for finding that right deal. Be sure to catch shows of special interest to you. Sign up for a once-a-week email announcing the show topic at commercialrealestateshow.com. Or if you like, you can just shoot us an email, and uh, we'll sign you up for it. Our email is info, I-N-F-O, at com. You can also give us an old-fashioned phone call at 888-612-SHOW. Well, until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh. And join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions. Excelligent, building data everywhere. CCIM Institute, the industry's global standard for professional achievement. Valuate, easily share what-if analysis with colleagues online and First Service Solutions, your CMBS borrower advocate. 
For more information on how these businesses may be of service to you, visit CREshow.com.